0: Welcome to Category 5, Technology TV, episode number 452. It's Tuesday, the 17th of May, 2016. Nice to see you. My name's Robbie Ferguson, and please help
1: me welcome Jeff Weston. I'm back.
0: Welcome. Two two weeks
1: in a row. Two weeks in a row. What's this? It must be like Christmas morning.
0: It is like Christmas morning for all of our viewers.
1: Right. But it's not just me here tonight. We have a special guest, which is super exciting.
0: Fantastic John Hornick is here. He's the author of 3D Printing Will Rock the World. What are we going to be talking to him about?
1: Uh, 3D printing, uh, for one, and how it's changing the face of pretty much everything we do, maybe even your face. Ooh. How do you like that?
0: I don't know how that's (laughs) going to segue.
1: What do we got coming up in the news? All right. Here's what's coming up in the Category 5.TV newsroom. A newly discovered form of light could make fiber optics more secure. Apple has banned an app which uh, informs users if they're being spied on. A new company launched by former Google engineer aims to retrofit all U.S. trucks with self-driving technology. A computer science class failed to notice that their teacher's assistant was actually an AI chatbot, and there's a massive call for retro gaming right now, and Sega has discovered what this means for them, so they've launched a retro gaming hub on Steam last month and have already sold more than 350,000 copies of their old games. Stick uh, around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV.
0: His book calls 3D printing a disruptive technology and he believes 3D printers are going to change the world. Please help me welcome author, lawyer and respected top thinker in the field of 3D printing. Here's John Hornick. John, nice to see you.
2: Well, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be
0: here. John, first of all, I'd like to ask you about uh, a little bit about what you do and how you've come to become somebody so well-respected in the field of 3D printing.
2: Well, I'm an intellectual property attorney. That's patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. And I'm in a big firm called Finnegan. We're one of the largest IP firms in the world. We have about 350 attorneys. And um, several years ago, someone sent me a video of a machine printing out a wrench. And at first, I thought it was a joke. But I thought, well, you know, if this is real, this is important. Sent it on to some friends. One of the guys they sent it to was the chief architect at Johns Hopkins Hospital. And he wrote back and he said, this isn't a joke. We have doctors here who are trying to do this with human organs. And it's going to take a, a while, but, you know, eventually it'll happen. So this is real. So I, I thought, well, this, this really is important. And I started looking into whether my firm had done any work in this area. It turned out we had. And it was it was called uh, rapid prototyping up until fairly recently. So we'd done a lot of work in that area. I decided to formalize our practice. And, and I started looking into this. And I, I read all these articles that said that, 3d printing creates a lot of um, IP issues intellectual property issues but it never said what they were so I thought well I'm going to figure out what they are and I started digging into it deeply and the more I got into it the more interested I was and um, I um, uh, my my interest went way beyond the law and I eventually realized that I had enough material for a book so I wrote this book 3d printing will rock the world which is partly about the law one chapter is but The other nine chapters are all about the technology and how it might affect jobs and kids learning the technology and that sort of thing.
0: Very cool. So it started with a video being shared with yes. John Hornick. Uh and that makes me think, John, about uh, how that particular in- industry, on-demand video, has revolutionized the way that we watch television, the way that we sit down uh, for our entertainment. And and when that was when that transition was happening, so thinking about you know the YouTubes and uh, the defunct Blip TV and several other uh, companies, Vimeo is another one that comes to mind. Uh, how those kinds of technologies uh, and really even stepping into things like Netflix, uh, how those have disrupted um, the the terrestrial, the traditional style television broadcasters. And they kind of saw it as a fad when it first started happening and they were ill prepared for it. So now here we are, you know, so many years later and they're scrambling to provide on demand services to their to their subscribers. And they're losing subscribers like crazy because they're just not ready for that on-demand era of video distribution. So similarly, I think we're kind of on the threshold here of 3D printing and, and reading your book, realizing that we really are at that point where there are a lot of industries that are like the television broadcasters of, of days gone by. They're, they're not ready. They're not, they're not expecting this to be more than just a fad. Are there particular industries that you can think of, John, that uh, that are really uh, going to be caught by surprise and and have to catch up?
2: Well, IBM did a study in 2013, and they studied all kinds of industries, and, and I talk about this in my book. And uh, what they said, and I and I agree with this, is that any any company that relies on selling parts, that company's at risk, because you know right now they they figure well they make the part, maybe there's a competitor or two that makes the part. But what if their, what if their customers could make the part? And oh. so that so really any kind of a company that makes and sells replacement parts or spare parts, uh, they're at risk. And also any kind of consumer products company.
0: So uh, why do you think that three D printing technology is is going to reshape industry and 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 really, um, uh, as you say in your book, it's going to rock the world. Why do you well, think there, that? Well,
2: there are a lot of different reasons. And one reason, and maybe one of the, the main ones, is that uh, you know traditionally when things uh, were made, you had a, a factory full of machines and they all had to have people to operate them. And labor is not cheap in this country and in, in a lot of other countries now. And so uh, that type of manufacturing tends to go to uh, places where labor is cheap and uh, you have mass production in far off lands. But a 3D printer has the ability to eliminate a lot of those machines that you needed traditionally. So instead of having maybe 10 or 12 machines to make a particular part, you have one machine. And you can build that part in one build, in one machine. It's operated by one person. Or maybe you have a person that operates a whole room full of 3D printers. Mm -hmm. So you're eliminating a lot of of, uh, labor from the equation. And when you do that... It allows you to bring manufacturing back to places where you have high labor costs, like the United States and the UK and Australia and and even Japan today.
0: So are we talking about a a loss of jobs here, John?
2: Well, uh, I always like to make an analogy to the horse. The the answer to your question is yes. Some jobs will be lost, new jobs will be created. And the the analogy that I make is to the horse. When the horse was the main form of transportation in the world, there were all kinds of horse-related jobs, people who took care of the horses and fed them and, and and who put shoes on them and who made saddles and wagons and wagon wheels and and when when the um, when the automobile came along, all of those jobs were lost. Hmm. Uh, but think of all the jobs and businesses and types of business models that were created by the automobile that no one could have even conceived of when we're riding around on horses. Well the same thing's gonna happen with 3D printing. It will shake up some businesses. It might destroy some businesses. It might destroy some existing business models. Some people might lose their jobs. But it will create all kinds of new jobs and new businesses.
1: Okay. that's So where are we going to see the first real shift? Like which field is going to get hit first in this 3D printing era?
2: Well, I think where we'll see it first is with companies that make and sell parts. And we have some big industrial manufacturing companies as clients who are worried about this. They're worried that uh, their parts for their machinery will be, uh, say, they'll be 3D scanned, uh, either in in this country or in another country, maybe by their customer or maybe by some third party, and that those scans will then be turned into digital blueprints. Some people call them digital models or 3D models. I call them digital blueprints. So they'll be turned into digital blueprints, and then somebody will print out that part for the customer. Maybe the customer will print it out himself, Uh, And so then rather than buying those parts from the uh, manufacturer, uh, the customers are now making the parts. And and an example I I give is of a company that I know of that uses um, turbine blades for power generation. And they have to replace these blades every few years. And when they do that, it's really expensive. Uh, But recently, they started using a type of 3D printing, not to make new blades, but to repair the blades that they had. Okay. And so now they are not buying blades anymore. Now this is this is really great for the company that needs the blades, but it's really terrible for the company that sells the blades. So you see the the customers essentially become the manufacturer and that can happen with any kind of a company that sells parts.
1: Okay, so how is this going to have an impact on the general consumer?
2: Well, uh, the general consumer right now, you know, there are two sides to this industry. There's, a, there's an industrial side and there is a consumer side. And what I was talking about before was mostly kind of on the industrial side uh, in a situation where an uh, in industrial parts, an uh, industrial machine manufacturing company sells a machine and then their customer needs new parts. They make the new parts or so they have them made for them. Um, from a consumer perspective, the same thing can happen in a couple of different ways. One way is that uh, there will be companies that will uh, be able to make parts for you. Maybe that company is down the block from you, or maybe it's on the Internet, Uh, and you uh, tell them what part you need. Maybe you scan a part that you have, and you send them the the, uh, digital blueprint yourself, or you send them the scan, they turn it into a digital blueprint, they print it for you. Or the other way it can happen is you may, may eventually have a 3D printer in your own home Or you may have one in what I call a friend's network. One of your friends might have one that can do what you need it to do. And uh, you have that part printed out in your own home or in your friend's home. Uh, And um, uh, so those are the two basic ways that it can affect consumers. Now, it's not really happening too much on the consumer side right now. It's starting to. But it's just a matter of time.
0: So th- that kind of opens up a whole new industry of companies that can, uh, that can manufacture these parts on behalf of the consumer. To me, 3D printing still seems really like an expensive process. Is there, what's the driving factor? What is it that's, that's really the benefit that's gonna push uh, 3D printing itself as a process to, to change the world, as you say?
2: Well, right now it's real benefits are uh, that you can make really complex parts without them costing any more on a poor part basis, you know, traditionally to make something complex. Costs, the more complex it is, the more it would cost to make it. Also, uh, it doesn't cost any more to make a batch of one or to make a one-of-a-kind part than to make, uh, uh, to make a, a, a million of them. And, you know, that's also different from traditionally because to make one-of-a-kind, that always cost more in the past. And also, you can make customized parts. You can make something customized for particular customer and customization used to always cost more too. Well, none of that costs more on a per-part per part basis with 3D printing. So if you're dealing with a part that is complex or you only need a one or you only need a few, uh, for example, in aerospace where you 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 might not need a million of a part, you might only need a thousand of a part, uh, or if it's something that's uh, customized, that's are the real strengths right now. Now, in, in the longer term, as the machines get faster, and as the uh, prices of the machines come down and as they're uh, more and more capable of making complex things with um, hybrid materials so that so it's simpler, you know, you don't need 20 or 30 materials to make something, you can make it out of one or two materials. As those things happen over time, uh, then uh, you'll be able to make uh, – the, the benefits will spread into other types of products and other types of parts because – Uh, You won't be limited by some of the limitations the machines have now, like like speed or having to use
0: a lot of different materials. The technology is going to improve uh, by a long shot for sure. Uh, So you know we live in a in a world right now that is mass manufacturing a lot of waste Mm -hmm. uh, because you know companies have to manufacture x number of units. You know if you build a car, you've got to have pieces of that car on standby for every auto shop to to order those parts so will we get to a point where cost per unit um is going to go down enough that we're going to see a shift from mass manufacturing
2: well i think that we will and then when you say will we get to the point you know the future is a really long time (laughs) and so uh, you know, when you ask some people in the industry uh, if if what you said will that happen, they'll say, well, not anytime soon. But when you drill down on what they mean by that, uh, what they usually mean by that is, well, not within the next ten years or not within the next twenty years. But you know, the future is a lot longer than that. So yeah, eventually we'll get to the point where uh, where it's practical to be making parts um, with with three D printers, virtually any kind of a part we will probably have more and more customization as time goes on. So this whole concept of needing to have mass produced parts, that may not go away completely, but that may change a lot so that the things, a lot of the things we're used to having mass produced now in the future, we may not, we may not mass produce them anymore. We may mass customize them instead.
0: Right. Okay. A a wise man once said, we will only ever need 640 K memory in our computers. (laughs) This is right. what happens when we try to predict the future, right? <laughs> that's right. uh, Speaking of, you mentioned that we're, we're going to see a shift to less components, less materials being used for the building process. Jeff, you had an interesting point uh, before the show.
1: Yeah, so what, one of the things with uh, 3D printing is is can you incorporate multiple elements into it? For instance, could you print a circuit board where you've got the plastics and the metal and the all that kind of stuff? Is that a possibility that's coming, or is it... A possibility now?
2: Uh, well, you can do it now. It's fairly primitive. Uh, University of Texas uh, at um, UTEP, so it's uh, University of Texas at El Paso. Uh, they have a lab there where they've done some work, where they've 3D printed uh, the structure of a part along with uh, conductive traces in it. So in other words, the conductive parts of it, they print them in there. There's a okay. there's a startup company called Voxel8 that uh, they 3D printed a drone where they uh they printed the structure of the drone and then they also printed the uh the wiring that goes inside of it and then uh it flew out of the printer but they they, <laughs> they placed the motor in there it didn't print the motor okay so but that in time uh in time everyone i think believes that eventually you'll be able to print all of that so right now that that what you just described that's kind of in its early stages but it there are people who are, who are, who are experimenting experimenting with that
1: wow
0: Sounds amazing. Uh, John, as an IP lawyer, uh, I I understand that there are many patents uh, surrounding 3D printing technology. And and that's even been a hindrance um, to some degree to manufacturers trying to push the technology. They can't release things that they've been developing if they have patents that are surrounding them. Uh, Are we going to see a shift in that? How are we going to – how is the technology going to progress if – basically patent trolls if you will are maintaining these patents
2: well patents haven't really gotten the way gotten in the way of the development of this industry yet uh, and part of the reason for that is that I think the market capitalizations for most of the companies that are in this industry that the homegrown companies in other words the companies that started out making 3d printers they never made anything else they weren't big manufacturing companies that got into this area they they started out making 3d printers their their market caps really aren't uh, big enough to justify a lot of patent litigation. So even if uh, even if their patents are being infringed, for the most part, they're leaving each other alone. Uh, there really haven't been any, what you call, patent trolls in this space yet. Patent right. trolls, for people who don't know, or they're also called non-practicing entities. They're people who own patents, but they don't make anything. They just own the patents, and then they enforce them against uh, people who are making things. And, um, you know, uh, one man's Patent troll is another man's entrepreneur, so you can't necessarily uh, judge them in one way or the other. But um, so far, patents aren't really getting in the way. Companies are getting patents. Uh, They're building patent portfolios. Some of them are licensing that technology to others. Um, But I think that eventually there will be a lot more patent litigation in the 3D printing space not just in people who companies who make printers and make materials but also in companies that use the technology which could be any company making any kind of technology now i personally don't even though i'm a
0: well, it looks like John is hung up there. John, if you're still with us, it uh, looks like you're frozen up, so we'll just take a brief moment. And if John is still with us, uh, we're going to come right back. John is the author of 3D printing will rock the world. And uh, this is John Hornick that we're speaking with. We're going to try to reestablish a connection here. You can check out this book. Uh, it is Becoming Fast the De Facto... Uh, Encyclopedia, if you will, with regards to the future of uh, 3D printing. Uh, you can pick that up through oh, our. I don't know what happened there? Well, hello, John. <laughs> sorry, uh, we were just talking about your book. We lost connection there, but that's okay. Uh, you can pick it up on Amazon through our partner links. Uh, you can find those on our website, Category5.tv. If you want to get straight to the book, find out more about it, order your own copy. Go to Cat5.tv/rocktheworld. I'm sorry that you got cut off there, John. I'll let you. Uh, carry on where you were
2: yeah i don't know exactly where um i what was the, we were in the middle of it <laughs> we're talking a about pat,
0: uh, patents patent trolls in in uh specific
2: oh what i was saying and what i was starting to say actually is that uh i would like to see uh, ideally something that's called a patent pool and patent pools are, are um something that most people aren't familiar with but you've probably heard of rca well rca started as a patent pool it was really uh, radio patents Okay. That were um being uh obtained by a lot of different owners, and uh in the early days of radio somebody said hey let's 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 not let these patents get in the way of the development of technology let 's put them all into what 's called a pool, and uh, everyone can have a license to them and uh, there's there are ways that you share royalties over that and i ideally i 'd like to see that uh, in this space now i 've raised it a few times, and nobody really seems to like the idea because <laughs> Uh, investors always want to see patents and they want to see that a patent can 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 be used to stop competitors uh, but um, uh, I think that in this particular space at its at its point of development uh, it would be better off with something like a patent pool than with a lot of patent litigation
0: gotcha Okay. We're speaking with John Hornick, and uh, John, we have our chat room uh, live joining us tonight and uh, some questions coming in for you.
1: Yeah, so one of the questions was um, regarding firmware blocking So, and and whether this is something that will come into play or it might even be in play now with 3D printing. Like there's some photocopiers uh, that won't copy, say, banknotes. Is that something Mm. that's being incorporated into 3D printing technology? Almost
0: like a DRM technology for proprietary parts, if you will.
2: Well, my feeling is that DRM, which is digital rights management, that it doesn't work. Uh, it's It creates what uh, – there's a there's a guy in the industry named Hod Lipson. He's a professor at Columbia University who wrote a book on this topic, too. When he calls DRM a digital arms race, uh, which uh, the person who's developing the DRM is, is bound to lose. And I agree with that. Uh, and but people do talk about um, trying to program a machine so it can't print out certain things, like maybe a gun part. But uh, – uh, I think that's fundamentally impossible to do, especially since a lot of the uh, technology that's in this space is open. It's open source. Sure. It's not locked. And um, and also another important thing is that 3D printing gives us the ability to make things that don't look anything like the things we're used to them or the way they we're used to them looking. So you take a gun, for example. Well, guns don't have to look like guns. And when you have a 3D printer, you can really make it look like anything.
0: All right, this and is starting to is get scary. the same true of any other kind
2: of a part. You know, <laughs> right now, we, parts look the way they do because of the way they have to be made based upon existing manufacturing methods. Right. But we don't have those limitations with 3D printing. So you can make a part or product look very different from uh, what we're used to. And, and I've got some great examples of that uh, in the book, photos of things in the book that are uh, very different looking than what we're used to.
0: Indeed. Now, we don't have to use 3D printing to create weapons that look like bananas, that's for sure. Uh, (laughs) But but, we could. (laughs) But thinking about, like, say, Lego, right? Like, there's a a patented um, product that potentially could be manufactured at home by a 3D printing. And so that's probably not going to... Do you think that that's ever going to be a a problem from a, a DRM standpoint?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting about Lego. Uh, a lot of people think that Lego is protected by a lot of intellectual property. I'm not really sure that it is because uh, if you want to talk about patents, Lego bricks, the basic Lego brick, it's been around for a long time and patents last right now. They last for 20 years from the filing date. Mm. Uh, copyright is not going to cover a Lego brick. Uh, so uh, and there may be some proprietary methods in how they make them, and that's that's probably protectable, maybe still is protectable, even though Lego bricks have been around for a long time. but they what they say is that it, they say it's really hard to make a Lego brick. they say it's really hard to make a Lego brick that that that's perfect, you know that where they'll fit right. together perfectly the way you want them to. I personally find that a little bit hard to believe, but and, and but even if it's true, even if it's accurate, I don't think it will be true for long. And eventually, uh, it will be easy to uh, reproduce something like. And right now, you can make Lego bricks. I don't, I don't know if they're as accurate as Lego would want them to be, but they're probably functional. And in time, you'll probably be be able, be able to make a perfect Lego brick.
0: Sure.
1: Wow. Cool. So, speaking of making something like a Lego brick, like. Uh, one of the things that I loved about your book is I'm just flipping through all the unique and wonderful things that are being made in uh, through 3D printing. What are some of the really cool items that in your research you came across? You're like, man, this is amazing.
2: Well, you know, my favorites are in the section, uh, in the chapter that's about uh, design. And um, it's that chapter, I believe, is called Merging Science and Nature. And uh, the idea there is that Uh, You know, traditionally, uh, everything that humans make, it it looks like a human made it. But 3D printing gives you the ability to make things that look more like Mother Nature made them, more like Mother Nature's designs, things that look like they were grown rather than built. Mm -hmm. And I have some examples of that in the book. One example is is a bridge strut. Now when you think of a bridge, you think of something that's very linear and has hard corners. Uh, but the strut that I have in the book—that's that's very organic. Uh, it it only has material where uh, you need it. Doesn't have any material where you don't need it. It looks like something you might see in a in a science fiction movie of the future—a part that comes out of a spacecraft. It's very hmm. looks like like I said before, like looks like it was grown rather than it was built. And that I think is a is a fascinating um, uh, benefit of three D printing is that you start to get designs that are very different from the designs that, we've, that, that we're have that used to. And, that's, and I've said this several times now, but if you take, for example, a smartphone. Right now, smartphones, they look like they do, partly because Steve Jobs said this is the way it's got to look, uh, but partly because we have limitations on how they can be made. And a friend of mine in the industry says, well, we'll never be able to 3D print a smartphone in the home because you'd have to have 30 materials or 50 materials. You'd have to have metal. You'd have to be able to melt the metal. That would cause a lot of heat. It would be dangerous. And I said, no, 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 no. If we're ever able to make 3D print a smartphone in the home, it won't look anything like this. It, and it won't be made of 50 materials. It'll be made of two materials or three materials. Interesting. And it'll look very different. It'll feel very different. It just needs to do what a smartphone does.
1: Right.
2: So, so in the book, I've got some examples. Uh, the one is uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a chair in there, a very organic-looking chair. Uh, there is a um, a violin uh, that's uh, kind of a hauntingly beautiful instrument called the Monad violin that was three yeah. D printed very different design than anything you'd ever think of as being a violin. Um, and um, there are some other uh, examples out there. One, I couldn't actually get permission to use the photo in the book. I really wanted to, but I, I, I just the, the um, owner of the photo couldn't give me permission. It was, but it's of what I call a second skin running shoe and it and it and it looks like it's um, it looks like it's something that's biological not something that was actually made by a machine and it's made of something called protocells and they 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 inflate when you run to provide cushioning and they deflate <laughs> when you're not running no and way. you store them in a vat of protocells overnight so so <laughs> if you so so the types of things we'll be able to make 3d print or that was bioprinted they will be very different and and um, and so we'll see very different designs.
0: So we're talking about not just a shift in the manufacturing process, but also the paradigm of the product itself. Exactly. And when we talk about um, organics, so we're talking about basing 3D printed technology on technology that has been created by mankind well what about organic limbs and you know uh being able to replace organic body parts how far off are we from that
2: well there's a there's there's 3d printing and then there's bioprinting and bioprinting is also a type of 3d
0: printing. looks like we may have lost john again it's okay We're going to have him back in just a moment's time. We know that's the case. Uh, We are speaking with John Hornick. He's the author of 3D Printing Will Rock the World. As I think about the progression of technology, and here we are, you know, companies invested in billions of dollars worth of satellites, and here we've got uh, a computer connected over a cell phone network to bring in a communication uh, from an author down in the United States, and here we are in Canada. So the technology has progressed in that way as well. Uh, We're going to reestablish that connection in just a moment, it's time. This is Category Five Technology TV, and you'll find our website at category5.tv. Sorry,
2: I, I don't know what happened there again.
0: <laughs> uh, you know what? We're gonna—it's—it's uh, it's Skype. We can—we can always just—we uh, can say it was uh, Microsoft. That's Microsoft right. did it. <laughs> uh, sorry, we were just starting okay. to—we were right. just that starting to good. talk about organic um, limbs and and things like that. So if you could share with that about that. Sure.
2: Well, uh, what I was getting at is there's a, a kind of a a side or a branch to 3D printing called bioprinting and there are researchers universities and companies out there that are trying to uh, bioprint human organs now right now they're you know it's it's uh, they're getting started they they're, they're making human tissue for example it can be used for drug testing or cosmetics testing uh, but the goals are to make uh, what I call the big five the the liver the kidney the heart the eye uh and um what did I leave out liver, the kidney, the heart, the eye well, anyway, I'm leaving something out but it, um it was, but the goal is to be able to print those all eventually and um and I think eventually they will but I was at a conference not too long ago where uh a uh, uh a guy from a guy named Gabor forjax, who was with the company founder of a company called organovo, was saying that by the time that we can three d print something like a human heart, we may not want to make a human heart. In other words, you know, the human heart isn't perfect for people who are living as long as we are now. Uh, So maybe by the time we can make a human heart, maybe we can improve it. Maybe so maybe what we'll wind up with, and this wasn't my idea, this was his idea. (laughs) Maybe what we'll wind up with is a heart that's a combination of biological and mechanical. And so then if you carry that idea a little farther, you don't necessarily have to limit it to things you're making for the human body. You could have all kinds of products that are partly mechanical and partly biological. Now, this is a, this is a waste down the road, but I don't think it's that far down the road. It's maybe twenty to thirty years down the road. You think
0: it's that close, eh? Wow.
2: Well, I know that the uh, university, uh, a guy named Stuart Williams, he's a doctor at the University of Louisville. He plans to three D print a human heart by the year twenty twenty three. I believe he'll do it. Unreal. Now. So, but what if he's off by 10 years? That's still not very
1: far
0: out. It's still an achievement, but dude, you said it would take X number of years. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Speaking of the timeline, uh, uh, you mentioned at the end of your book, Chapter 10, that the kids are, who are going to really drive this technology. How do the kids play into this and, and the whole shift toward 3D printing? And what kind of timeline are we going to see? Like with our kids growing up, are our kids going to be the ones that, that help shape this technology?
2: Well, you know, some people say that we will never have 3D printers in every home. I have a lot of reasons for thinking that we will. And one of the reasons that I I, I have for believing that there will be a 3D printer in every home is kids. Kids are going to demand them. Uh, right now, we're starting to see more and more uh, 3D printers in the classroom. So mm, uh, the kids will say, well, I need one of those. Or, or maybe soon they'll have homework that uses a 3D printer. Uh, and 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 they're being used not just to teach how to use 3D printers. They're being teach. They're being used to teach STEAM, you know, uh, science, technology, engineering, uh, art, and math education, STEAM education. So you can you can use a 3D printer, for example, to print out um, a gear and 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 show how gears work together. You can sure. use a 3D printer to print out a, a battlefield if you're teaching history. You can use one to print out a. Uh, an ancient building, uh, a pyramid, or, a, or an ancient Roman building. You can, there's a professor uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, but who's using 3D printing to uh, teach math. And so there's a type of uh, uh, math theory called knot theory, where you know, you're talking about knots that would be t- tied with rope, but these are knots that are en- they have no ends to the rope. And it's a, there's a mathematical concept involved in this, and, and she's printing out these knots so that the students can study them. Uh, there's a uh, teacher in California I know of who who's teaching a, a, a science class about insects to kids, uh, and he has them design their own insect uh, and come up with the way that it lives and then print it out, and then they do stop-action videos of them, and they, wow. they post those on YouTube. And, uh, so, cool. so So kids are learning the technology now, not just learning how to use the technology itself, but learning... Other types of, uh, learning all types of to- uh, uh, um, topics like science and math, they're learning with the machines. So what's gonna happen is, the kids are gonna grow up with the technology, and the technology is gonna grow up with the kids. They're gonna improve the technology as it goes along, and and it's gonna teach them as it goes along. So it's gonna be like an iterative process.
0: I've got to apply um, the whole idea of my kids to, you know it's like when I was your age, and I'm at that point now, John. Uh, when I was a kid, Video cameras were astonishingly expensive yeah. so what how did it start for me? Uh, it started with the school. The school had video cameras. Yep. So I couldn't have one at home. It was way too expensive for for a consumer to have one at home. And the technology was really very basic back then.
1: And now here you are with a tech show. And
0: now I'm, I'm surrounded by cameras <laughs> in a television studio. Uh, so, you know, my kids could potentially be learning, you know, if, if we can start to see these 3D printers really establishing themselves in the education system, then I can understand uh, your ch- chapter 10 points where, you know, the kids are really, you know, they're going to grow up with this technology and it becomes part of their life Mm -hmm. and that's That's going to really that's going to push and revolutionize you can get 3d printing will rock the world on amazon please do use our affiliate links you can find those on our website category5.tv and you just follow the partner links Uh, or if you want to go straight to it go to cat5.tv slash rock the world tonight we've been speaking with the author of the book Uh, we're speaking with john hornick john it is uh, it was such a pleasure speaking with you thank you for sharing your knowledge And uh, we're looking forward to things to come.
2: Well, it was my pleasure, too. And thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks
0: very much. A pleasure. Take care. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome to the show. Now, I've got one of these to give away, so all you got to do is email me, contest at category5.tv. When you email me, make sure you include your registered username at www.category5.tv. We're going to send that to you if you win. The draw will be held next Tuesday night, so you've got a chance to win, uh, even if you're watching this on demand. That's called 3D Printing Will Rock the World by John Hornick.
1: That book rocked my world. I kept looking. I'm like, this is so neat.
0: It's really interesting, and it, it's almost, I, I dare say, prophetic, because it yeah. feels like you're reading a book where you know this guy obviously knows what he's talking about, John Hornick, and uh, has done all the research and knows a lot of people in the field uh, and is able to make predictions that are very, very likely to come true.
1: And what I love is that, like, we just had this great interview with him. He's a lawyer. Like yeah, he's not a a 3D printing tech guy, sure. But he's like, hey, is there anything we could do with this with our law firm? Looks into it, and and this is his research. I mean, absolutely phenomenal stuff. And he's one of the the world think tanks, you know, that everybody goes to now for 3D printing. So neat. Check out the book Cat
0: Five TV slash Rock the World. All right, this is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us tonight. You'll find our website, www.category5.tv. Over to the newsroom. Here's Jeff.
1: All right. It's Tuesday, May 17th, 2016, and here are the stories we're covering this week a newly discovered form of light could make fiber optics more secure. Apple has banned an app which informed users if they were being spied on. A new company launched by uh, a former Google engineer aims to retrofit all U.S. trucks with self-driving technology. A computer science class failed to notice that their teacher's assistant was actually an AI chatbot. And Sega launched its retro gaming hub on Steam last month and has already sold more than 350,000 copies of their old games. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Now here's another great way you can support the shows you love from the Category5.TV network by shopping at GearBest. That's right,
0: Jeff. Uh, Cat5.TV slash GearBest. It's an online store for the geek streak in you. Or the loved ones. Well, of course. I mean, especially your loved ones, right? Uh, Because Cat5.TV slash GearBest, quite frankly, has all of the greatest tech gifts that you could ever hope for at rock bottom prices.
1: Do they have cell phones?
0: You betcha. Cat5.tv slash GearBest has a wide assortment of unlocked Android cell phones and tablets.
1: What about uh, consumer electronics? Those make a great gift.
0: Absolutely. From high-tech watches to action cameras, headphones, even virtual reality headsets. Cat5.tv slash GearBest has you covered. They literally have it all, Jeff. Literally. Really? It's like a superstore right from the comfort of your own chair at your computer through the interweb
1: yeah i there's no way they have it all it's true it's just a bunch of ele- uh random electronics test me um what about clothes yep
0: both men and women fashionable apparel at rock bottom super duper prices kind of like this well look at this coat what do you think it's a slimming mock leather jacket i love it it's available for less than $30 plus free shipping at cap5.tv slash gearbest.
1: All right. You kind of got me there.
0: Wow. Any other questions for me, Jeff?
1: Uh, now that the winter has passed, flying season, do they have any good deals on, say, drone copters?
0: Oh my goodness. Well, check this out. Dude, they have everything. Check out over 500 various drones. And not only that, they're available marked down by about 30 to up to 63% off the regular price. Love it. What's the website again? Well, you're going to find GearBest on our partners' pages for any of your favorite Category 5 TV shows like New Every Day, Category 5 Technology TV, The Pixel Shadow. Uh, but, of course, if you want to shop absolutely right now and you want to go straight to the site, all you have to do is visit cat5.tv GearBest.
1: See, that's easy category5.tv slash your best that's right
0: happy shopping
1: I'm Jeff Weston, and here are the top stories from the category5.tv newsroom when light hits your eyeball this is going to get technical the spinning photons actually twist in it infinitesimally The force of the spin, known as angular momentum, has always been thought to be a direct multiple of a quantum physics number called Planck's constant. However, scientists from Trinity College, Dublin, discovered a form of light with an angular momentum that's exactly half that amount. Though that may not sound like a big deal... John Donegan uh, said the discovery could really impact the study of light waves in areas such as secure optical communications. The team devised an experiment to effectively reduce the number of dimensions that the light operates in. First, they passed the light through a crystal, turning the beam into a hollow cylinder with a screw-like structure. Then they built a device that measures angular momentum when the light passes through the crystal and also when it bypasses it. In the latter case, the spin was an exact multiple of Planck's constant, as expected. But when it passed through the crystal, the angular momentum shifted by one half. The result isn't completely unexpected, uh, as scientists have long theorized, uh, that fractional angular momentum in photons is possible in certain instances. However, this is the first time experiments have proved the results, much like scientists have recently proved the theoretical gravitational waves are a real thing. Practically, engineers can exploit the finding to create faster and more secure forms of data transmission. More importantly, the discovery represents a true breakthrough in quantum mechanics if it stands up. Lead researcher Paul Eastham says, What I think is so exciting about this result is that even this fundamental property of light that physicists have always thought was fixed can be changed. Hmm. I feel like I'm on an episode of Big Bang Theory right now.
0: I wonder, does it then have more to do with the wavelength than the actual speed? Possibly. I think of speed of internet and speed of communication as being the speed of light in fiber optics instance. So cutting right. that in half would be a detriment to the speed. But what they're talking about sounds like more of a, like the spectrum of the light or the the variation right. of the light.
1: The, I mean, the way I understand it in my feeble mind is that it, when putting it through the crystal, it creates different speeds. So I'm wondering if there's a way to speed it up, or if by switching it by one half, there's less light friction. Uh, like I, maybe I like have no the, clue.
0: Maybe the wobble of the light, because that's the technical thing, allows little bits of data to. We don't know.
1: Moral of the story:
0: if it's re- if it's legit, if they can put this in technology,
1: fiber optics are going to get better
0: better more secure that's right which we like
1: can we 3d print light
0: (laughs) we can 3d print the stuff to to generate light
1: uh good times good times i still don't understand half of what i just read
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh dear Oh, okay. Uh, chat room, your theories, <laughs> post your comments below with your theories as to what the heck Jeff is talking about. <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs>
0: and I'll pass it along. Okay.
1: Apple has removed an app from its store that informs users if a third party was spying on communications or had access to your data on your iPhone. While Apple's approval process for the App Store can be notoriously a fickle beast, um, it seems that uh, Eston. Uh, Sorry, Stefan Esser's system and security info is one of the latest undesirables from Apple's point of view. So in a nutshell, the app told you whether the software that you're running is authentic um, and was designed to tell you that if malware or other undesirable software at play through anomaly detection is going on. It can also detect if your phone has been jailbroken without your knowledge. Now, unfortunately, the app ran into problems during its fourth review process from the Apple Store and was removed. Esser uh, said that essentially, um, he was told that detecting weaknesses or problems in a user's phone wasn't allowed and could lead to, and I quote, "...potentially inaccurate and misleading diagnostic functionality of iOS devices." This next part I absolutely love. Esther posted a screenshot of the email he received along with the tweeted caption. Here it basically says, we do not want users to have the impression iOS could have security holes go away. Um, so Esther, for his part, is, is uh, confused by the removal from the App Store as he says that the app only performed the same function as many others have already been uh, allowed to, uh, to do. One thing Esther says that he won't be doing is releasing a jailbroken version of the app. Thereby, thereby sidestepping Apple's restrictions altogether. It is a bit of a strange move to, to ban uh, such a benign app when you've already got this approval process in place, but particularly uh, so for one that's designed to keep users informed if they're being spied on in some way. So critics are arguing that the removal of the app by Apple is designed to prevent potential weaknesses in the platform from being shown to others. Oh, come on. Yeah. Uh, which wouldn't be very good for the company's squeaky clean image.
0: Sure, but come on. If the if the exploits are there, do you want the, the end user to know and be able to protect themselves? Like when an antivirus pops up and says, you've got a virus, should Microsoft be able to say, no, you're not allowed to do that on our, on our operating system because we don't want people to know that they can get viruses? Well, come no. on. I'd rather know and know that I'm protected
1: because otherwise, guess who's going to know? Right. Only the bad guys. But when it comes to stocks and shareholders and profit margins and all that, you don't want anything that shows that your company isn't as amazing as you've made it out to be. As we're finding out with Apple and their uh, phone purchase renewal, whatever the stats were, Mm. where it's been inflated for years. Mm. And now it's coming out that, hey, we aren't as amazing as we thought we were. (laughs) And so their shares are going... (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I guess something like this, they're just going, we've already been hacked by, or not hacked, but... Um, Exploited. Yeah, the encryption's been broken into by, was it the FBI?
0: Uh, a sub-company that they hired.
1: Yeah, somebody got by, and now, the. Uh, I think I read just recently that uh, police force in the Europe somewhere said that they've got through uh, the mm. encryption. So if you've now got police forces getting through the encryption, and then they remove an app that says that there's an issue, like... This just could be bad news. For These Apple are the people
0: that announce that they've gotten through it.
1: Yes, that's true. How many hackers
0: out there have done the same?
1: Well, now you never know because you can't get the app. Can't get the app. Yep.
0: You can't know. You're not allowed to know that you've been hacked. That's right. Come on now.
1: All right. Anthony Lewandowski, a robot-loving engineer who helped uh, steer Google's self-driving technology, is convinced that autonomous big rigs will be the next big thing on the road to safer transportation systems. Lewandowski left Google earlier this year to pursue his vision at Auto, which is a San Francisco startup that he co-founded with two other formal Google, Google employees, Leor Ron and Don Burnett, and another robotics expert, Claire Delaney. Auto is aiming to equip equip trucks with software, sensors, lasers, and cameras so that eventually they'll be able to navigate more than 354,000 kilometers or 220,000 miles of US highways on their own with a human driver napping in the back uh, of the cab or handling other tasks. Now, for now, the robot truckers would only take control on highways, leaving humans to handle the tougher task of uh, winding through city streets. The idea is similar to the automated pilots that fly jets at high altitudes while leaving the takeoffs and landings to humans. Google's self-driving cars have logged about 2.6 million kilometers, or 1.6 million miles, in autonomous mode without being involved in any accident that results in death or major injury. Of the more than 20 accidents involving its self driving cars, Google has accepted the blame for one, uh, which is a February collision with a bus in Mountain View, California. Auto has already assembled a crew of about 40 employees experienced in self driving cars to transplant the technology to trucks. With former employees from Google, Apple, Tesla Motors, Otto uh, is um, boasting that its team is made up of some of the sharpest minds in self-driving technology. Lewandowski insists that self-driving trucks aren't as scary as they might sound. Robot truckers are less likely to speed or continue to drive in unsafe conditions uh, like a human and would never get tired. Now, it's important to note that between 10 and 20% of the roughly 4,000 fatal accidents in the US each year involving trucks and buses are linked to driver fatigue. Auto is looking for 1,000 trucks to volunteer to have self-driving kits installed on their cabs at no cost to help fine-tune the technology. Hmm. Now, not only from a um, self-driving standpoint, but we've got regulations as far as how many kilometers you can drive to prevent things like the fatigue. So- sure. But you know what? It, like any
0: uh, industry, I've got a deadline. I've got to get from right. A to B. And you know that people are pressing themselves for the paycheck to get there. Absolutely. And and it's a competitive industry. And and the one who says, yeah, I can get it there in 24 hours, that's the one who's going to get the job. Yep. And that's the the unfortunate thing about the the competitiveness of the, the trucking industry.
1: Yeah. So I can see how this has a big impact. A lot of, because it's highway
0: driving, when you said that it's, that they they are going to have to take control in, in city streets. I, I picture these big rigs going through city streets and making rights at lights and wide turns and things like that. That's just looking for trouble with an autonomous vehicle. Sure. On a highway, though, most of the time, it's just smooth sailing. And that's why I think people fall asleep at the wheel is because it's just it's so boring yeah it's line 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 i can line.
1: appreciate that like mm-hmm. when we went to uh, to florida for a few weeks ago for vacation i did the drive straight through yeah uh, i mean it was 28 hours behind the wheel so point I, in case i get it um so i i don't know I'd, so
0: wouldn't it be nice if along with your cruise control you could flip a switch that makes the truck steer itself
1: that would be kind of And cool. you can
0: go have a sandwich or at, at least put your feet up and, and doze off. And, and I would expect, I mean, they're going to think about, okay, well, what happens if someone pulls out in front of the truck? There would, there must be some kind of an alarm system or something that would say, you well,
1: know, danger, already, danger. You've already got cars now with uh, conflict avoidance systems in there when sure you do. they're being yeah. driven by
0: a human. But we're talking about a big rig with a, a heavy load. Sure. Think about these things like gas tankers and things like that carrying liquid.
1: Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be lots of lawyers all over this one going, <laughs> we'll find a way to get out of it. We'll but-
0: see if they can get out of the, the laws that restrict big rigs from being able to be autonomous. And it makes me think about Freightliner as well. They've brought out, uh, or at least developed, autonomous trucks. Mm -hmm. But this is different. They're going to jerry-rig their equipment into existing cabs. You don't have to go out and buy the brand new truck. That's right. It will work on your existing rig. So, hey, if you're a trucker, they want a 1,000 of you. That could be a good opportunity to get the latest and greatest. Could be. Just uh, keep one eye open. It's
1: interesting for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. With all this talk about chatbots from Facebook and Microsoft, teaching artificial intelligence to become Smiter has become a central topic of the tech world. But can AI teach us? Ashok Ghule, a computer science professor at Georgia Tech, put that question to the test when he added Jill Watson, a chatbot powered by IBM's Watson technology, to his list of teaching assistants for an online course. The chatbot was so good at answering questions that students didn't even notice that their teaching assistant was made of silicone until after they turned in their finals.
0: Just so you know, there are a lot of teachers' assistants that are made of silicone. That word was silicon.
1: Silicon. I said silicone.
0: <laughs> Just thought that should be corrected.
1: Thanks. <laughs> speaking of 3d printed yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> All right jill came to be after goal uh, decided that he and his teaching assistants were being spread too thin so goal's- smart yeah goal's class was a popular online course and his teaching team receives over ten thousand online questions per <laughs> semester That's a lot of questions. A lot
0: of redundancy, I would think, in those questions.
1: Absolutely, which is where Jill came into play. So Jill was trained by reading questions and answers from previous semesters and was set to only respond to new ones if it was 97% confident of its answer or higher. And more difficult questions were reserved for the human teaching assistants, and some students did become suspicious. Still, the experiment proved successful. One student, this is great, even planned on nominating Jill as an outstanding teaching assistant for the school's teacher survey. Wow. Gould plans on bringing the chatbot to more schools and classes, and while he didn't see Jill completely replacing professors and assistants, he thinks giving more students the opportunity for one on one interactions even if it is with AI will help keep them engaged in their coursework. Interesting.
0: This That's another cool. great example of how uh, autonomous technology or AI in this case could be used to offset the workload of real people. Absolutely. So that you can focus on like a good example is like I code and I write code all the time. That's my job full time. Mm-hmm. I'm a, a developer. And when the phone rings And it's a question about renewing an antivirus license or something. It's not that I mind doing that. It's that it takes me away from something that's really a skill and that is difficult to get back into now that I've been interrupted. Right. So if if those interruptions can be lessened by AI and those frequently asked questions that it's confident it can answer, then that's a great use of the technology.
1: Sure. Absolutely. And... One of the things that I like about it is that it it was designed to answer the questions that had previously been answered. So if you're FAQ. fielding mm-hmm. 10,000 questions, yeah, exactly, it's a live FAQ, uh, which is great. It saves productivity time to an exponential degree. I mean, if if I had answered 10,000 emails in a semester. Sure.
0: I wrote a program that uh, is on our company website. And when somebody calls, because we get so many calls of people And and again, we don't mind answering the questions, but saying, how do I set up email on my iPhone? Mm -hmm. I got a new Android device. How do I set up email on that? So what we did is we created a system that they punch in their email address. They they put in what type of system they have, be it a a new Samsung phone or whatever. And it generates a step-by-step list of here's how to do it. Mm -hmm. So it's using a a little bit of simple, simplistic AI to answer questions that we frequently have to answer. And again, we don't mind doing that, but it just automates the process so that we're not taken away from what we should be doing by something that we've already answered a hundred times before. Yes. It absolutely makes sense to me.
1: That's cool. I like it. All right. For all you gaming buffs, Sega has sold over 350,000 classic titles since launching its Mega Drive and Genesis Hub on Steam on April 28th. Uh, which is what the company announced on Tuesday. The hubs lets Sega fans revisit emulated versions of the company's retro hits in a virtual 90s-themed games room and also allows for the creation of ROM hacks for Genesis and Mega Drive titles. In the 20 days that it's been active, Steam users have purchased over 350,000 classic titles worldwide, while hundreds of custom ROMs have already been uploaded by the community. Sega Europe's Director of Digital Distribution, James Schall, says 350,000 sales is a phenomenal achievement for content which is over 20 years old. It shows that there's still a huge following out there for the Mega Drive and Genesis, reinvigorated by the fantastic community of modders out there uploading big content. Love this. The retro gaming's, like... We're into it. Absolutely. We did an episode about this not long ago, but what I love is that... There is the capability of playing those retro games without necessarily needing the console, and I can Absolutely, expose yeah. my kids to it. Mm-hmm. So totally awesome.
0: I love it. And the uh, gameplay you know, is great. It is. Mega Drive is, uh, is synonymous, I believe, with uh, Genesis. Mm-hmm. So in the United States and Canada, it was called Genesis. Yep. Overseas, it was called Mega Drive. So when you hear those two, um, that's, that's, I believe, I believe the difference. That's my uh, simplistic yeah, understanding. you're right. But the games are synonymous. Yeah. So, so still that's very Sonic cool. Sonic the
1: Hedgehog. Wow. Sonic and Tails. So cool. All right, big Street Fighter. Oh, Street Yes, that was a good one. That was (laughs) a good one. Big thanks this week to our community of viewers for submitting stories to us. If you found a news story that you'd like to send, email it to newsroom at category5.tv. For all your tech news with a slight Linux bias, visit the category5.tv newsroom at newsroom.category5.tv. For the category5.tv newsroom, I'm Jeff Weston.
0: Thanks, Jeff. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome to the show. Visit our website, www.category5.tv. Jeff, we've got to take a real quick break. Indeed. We will be right back. Jeff Weston. Yeah, You're building a brand new, beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? You're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh,
1: I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair
0: enough. All right. yeah, I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? You need hosting. One of the things about a hosting account is you don't want to have limitations put on your website. It's true. How much hard drive space do you have? How many email accounts? How many domains can point to it? Well, we've got an amazing deal for you. For a very limited time, cat5.tv slash DreamHost. For just $5 and a bit of change per month, you are going to get unlimited website hosting, unlimited email accounts on that hosting uh, service. You are also going to receive a free domain name. Ooh. So your own .com. Nice. To put that amazing website that you've been working on it's on true. there. If you run, if you want to build a WordPress site, fine. Sign up. Cat5.tv slash dreamhost.
1: Just don't put Panama Papers on it.
0: Just don't do it. But, hey, uh, it's a great deal, folks. Best deal you're going to find, $5 and change per month. Go to cat5.tv slash dreamhost. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Jeff, the uh, mind test... Pixel Shadow Extreme PvP Survival Server launched this past weekend. Which I'm super stoked about. Oh my goodness. Check out MindTest.tv. It's a voxel based game, kind of like Minecraft, uh, but it's absolutely free. Uh, Category 5 TV Network uh, hosts a bunch of servers. Right now, we have a creative server for those, you know, the kids that just want to be able to build and build and build. There are no bad guys. There's no way to die. It's just fun. Uh, then the, and you don't even have to craft anything. It's all in your inventory because it's creative. Right. Then we have the survival server. It's a little more challenging because you've got to chop down a tree uh, with your bare hands in order to then create sticks. And then you can create uh, a, a chisel-type pickaxe so that you can right. cut down more trees and start mining rock. Right? You can't do rock with your hands. So mm-hmm. survival adds a whole new element. Well, extreme PvP, person versus person survival is our third server, which means you get into the game, there are monsters that want you out of the game.
1: Indeed. Do
0: not go out at night, folks. Check it out. It's mindtest.tv. We got a uh, really great comment from Leo Ivars de Argentina uh, a couple weeks back as we have been talking about Ubuntu Mate. Yes. Over the past couple of weeks. Yes,
1: we did have the debate with Sasha on how it's pronounced.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm almost getting it. Uh, Leo of Vars de Argentina, please let me know if I get it right. I'm probably going to say it three different times tonight, maybe more. But I'm doing my best to get it right. Uh, apparently my accent isn't quite right. You can touch on that. But just before we read uh, Leo's uh, message here, uh, last week. We featured um, how to really improve the performance of an old computer by sticking a solid-state hard drive in there and Ubuntu Mate.
1: Yes. Okay. Incredible time trials.
0: And it just made a huge difference on that old laptop. Now, lo and behold, Sunday night, my wife says, oh, my netbook is just killing me. It's Mm -hmm. brutal. It's so bad. And I looked at it and I said, hmm, didn't Jeff and I just deal with this? On Tuesday, so I actually took what we learned from that show, and I went downstairs and I pulled out an old SSD. I have a Kingston SSD now that I bought years ago and never used uh, because it it didn't fit in any of my systems capacity wise. I like big space. It was a smaller a smaller drive. It was one of the earliest SSDs that I ever bought. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but I still have it, and it's a great drive. So I put that in the netbook last night, installed Ubuntu Mate. And it flies. She messaged me on Facebook today. She said, it's like a new computer. And then she said, thank you, with two exclamation points. Two?